And give you all a warm welcome to our service today. And we'll begin by singing Psalm 21 from Sing Psalms. And we'll stand to sing. The tune is Exaltation. O Lord, in your strength, how the King is exultant, how great is his joy in the triumphs you bring. We'll sing the whole psalm. thanks that we can have our meeting here this morning. We thank you that we meet in the name of Jesus and that we meet with the living God. 
What a, an amazing reality that is, that we are in your presence, the God whom we cannot see, uh, the God who is not measured by the way we measure other people. You are the infinite, the almighty, the eternal God, uh, far above our comprehension. All we can do is <clears throat> compare and contrast you with um, individuals we know about. But even then, when we think of the greatest of people, they are fall far short of your splendor. But we thank you, Lord, that we can still come into your presence and worship you for who you are, the God who is holy, the God who is love, the God who is merciful, the God who is kind. Lord, we come aware of our smallness, but we also come aware of our sinfulness. And therefore, it's important for us as we draw near to you that we confess our sins. We find our sins to be uh, embarrassing and we can find our sins to be disappointing and we sometimes can find our sins to be offensive but we can never fully grasp uh, how obnoxious they are to you. Yeah, you are the God who is perfect, the God who is pure, the God who, as your word tells us, is of pure eyes than to look on iniquity. And yet here we are. We look at you, uh, but you also look at us. And it's important for us as we draw near to you that we come clothed in the righteousness of another and we thank you for the righteousness of Jesus that perfect life that he lived out and which is given to us as our standing in your presence if we believe in him we thank you that it covers all our defects but not only in the sense of hiding them, but also his righteousness uh, gives to us an obedience that we didn't do ourselves, but which is ours because of your grace. And therefore we stand in your presence in the righteousness of Christ. And that's something really amazing. Help us Lord, to realize its importance, the, the way it gives us assurance that we are accepted in your sight, that we are not just pardoned our sins, but that we are provided with uh, garments of salvation and help us, Lord, to rejoice in that. We thank you too for the death of Christ, for the sacrifice he made on the cross, uh, where he paid the penalty for sin and made it possible for not only for our sins to be forgiven, uh, but for us to be cleansed. And Lord, we need cleansing. We need, our, we need to be purged, to be purified. We need to be sanctified. And we just ask, Lord, that 
through the blood of Christ, uh, which gives us a very powerful and always acceptable uh, access to your presence for you to transform us and to change us. And we thank you, Lord, that that's brought about by the Holy Spirit, which who has come into the world to turn sinners into the likeness of Jesus. And that, again, is amazing. And that's our target in life. If we are your people, it's our destiny in eternity. We pray that we would be thinking about our glorification as we come here. We're to look ahead as well as to look back. And we are to take on board in our thinking uh, what your intention is for your people. And it's astonishing to realize that uh, one day all of them are going to be conformed to the image of Christ. And at the moment, uh, we have no real grasp of what perfection is. But we thank you, Lord, that one day it is coming and that even in your presence now, there are the spirits of just men made perfect. But one day there's going to be billions of sinners transformed soul and body into the likeness of Christ. What a wonderful prospect. And we pray, Lord, that we would as we are meeting here, be thinking about that, that wherever we are at the moment in the, in the process of uh, sanctification, that one day the perfection of its coming. And we give thanks, Lord, for that reality. We are to live, as has often been pointed out, in the power of future grace and the promises that you give to us, but well, they're mainly connected to what's going to happen in the world to come. And therefore we pray, Lord, that our minds would be enraptured and intrigued by the glorious destiny that your people have. Lord, we pray you be with us today in our service then. You know each of us, you know what each of us needs to hear. Uh, we thank you that you speak to us, that you speak to us personally, but you also speak to us simultaneously, and therefore there's no need for us to wonder if you are speaking to anyone else. All we need to worry about is what you're saying to us personally. And we just pray, Lord, that we would hear your voice, I would have the desire of the psalmist when he said, I'll hear what God the Lord will speak. So Lord, we pray you would speak to us powerfully and that we would be conscious that we're in your presence and that we would be thankful that we are in the presence of a God who addresses us, who addresses us relevantly, who doesn't... Um, meander around in circles, but just comes to the point. And we pray that you would speak to us personally in this service. Lord, we pray for those who are not able to be with us today, whether it's on holiday or 
ill health or whatever reason it might be, we commit them all to you. Uh, remember those in the congregation who are uh, recovering from operations and also those who are undergoing treatment and those who are in hospital, uh, we pray that you would uh, remember all of them. We pray that you would remember your church throughout the world. There we think of your persecuted church today. We thank you, Lord, that you can give them strength. We know you have been giving them strength. And we pray that you would strengthen them today as they face their situations. Remember also those who are living in desperate places where there's great um, deprivation and destruction, whether caused by war or natural disasters. Remember those places we pray and help those who are trying to take aid to them. We just ask, Lord, that through it all, that the, the, these things would be provided, but along with it, the gospel would be conveyed. Lord, come in power to the world, we pray, and bless it today. We pray for our country in these uh, changing times, and when we speak of changing times, we, there are lots of things changing. We see individuals and in power changing, but we also see the ideas that dominate society are changing, and we have to live in the midst of all these changes, and in, in today's world, changes are happening very quickly, and it's not possible for anyone to say what life will be like in a couple of years' time. We just pray, Lord, that you would look in mercy on us and that you would bless the gospel, the unchanging gospel, the gospel that's always relevant. And we just ask, Lord, that uh, today, whatever it's preached, that it would have powerful effects and that you would come and transform our society and not just our society but every society in the world. We thank you, Lord, that you're a global God and that you are the God of the whole earth. And we pray that you would come in gracious power uh, to all the nations of the earth. Lord, remember us then and be with us in our service. Bless the children who are here. We pray that they too would understand that they are in the presence of a great God. So Lord, remember us and bless us. For your own name's sake. Amen. Now we can read from the book of Nehemiah and chapter 12, verses 27 to 43. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. 
Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the Dan Gate, and after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests' sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Sakur, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azrael, Malalai, Gulalai, Ma'ai, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them, and at the, at the fountain gate they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other quiet of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens, to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshanah, and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God. And I and half of the officials with me and the priests Eliakim, Masai, Miniamim, Micai, Elionai, Zechariah and Hananiah with trumpets. Amasiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Jehohanan, Malkiah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezriah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. And may God bless that reading. I'll now give a children's talk if the children come down to the front. Hi, how are you all? That's good. I got something in my pocket here, at least I had. This. Do any of you know what this is? A piece of string. Yes, that's true. There's something else on it apart from a piece of string. A piece of wood? No. A stone. What do you think it's for? Don't know. Well, I'll tell you what it says on it. It says on it, Ephesus. And it's uh, not the real thing. 
It's the thing that they, they give to tourists who wonder what it was like to win a race at the games in Ephesus. So if you want the race, this would be put round your neck. And you could walk around saying, I had won a race at Ephesus. You know where Ephesus is? It's a city in the Bible, a very important city. And in Ephesus, as with other places in the ancient world, they had games where people ran races and had sword fights and all that kind of thing. And it'd be quite important, wouldn't it, to be walking around Ephesus with this round your neck. Because everybody would see that you had been a good runner or a good boxer or a good wrestler or a good whatever it was. And it's a medal, a sign that somebody has given you an award. And it's very nice to have that, wouldn't it? Would you have liked to have had that? Yes, I'm sure you would. Now, the, the Bible tells us that we are one day going to stand at a far greater event than a medal ceremony at a, a games. We're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to say to us, if we have lived for him, he's going to say to us, well done. And he's going to give us an award, an award that will be far better than having something to put around your neck. That award is going to be glory, I don't know what glory is, but it's going to be glory forever. And it's going to be given if we serve Jesus. And you know what the best, when the best time is to start serving Jesus? Do you know when the best time is? Do you think it's when you get to 21? Do you think that's the best time? Or do you think the best time is when you get to 12? The best time to start serving Jesus is as soon as possible. Right now, and you can serve Jesus, you can serve him in your schools, and you can serve him in your homes, and you can serve him wherever you are. And that's very important to remember. And if we do that, we're going to get a great reward. And that will be wonderful, won't it? A great reward that nobody can even imagine. So, I don't know if you'll ever get to Ephesus, but if you do go there, you can tell people that you've seen what looked like the medal that people would have got for going running in a race. So, thank you for uh, listening. I'm going to stand and say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, to sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. <coughs> For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are We'll now sing uh, Psalm 87 from Sing Psalms. The tune is Stuttgart. We'll sing the whole psalm and we'll stand to sing. On Jerusalem's holy mountain, he has founded his abode. More than all of Jacob's dwellings, Zion's gates are dear to God. We'll sing the whole psalm. On Jerusalem's holy mountain, he has founded his abode, more than all of Jacob's dwelling, Zion's gates are dear to like us to look at the passage and see what we can learn from it. And uh, the title I have uh, given to the sermon is Participating in the Celebration. There are uh, several examples of celebrations in the Bible. I'm sure our minds can go to the time the, after they crossed the Red Sea and the 
Enemies had been destroyed and the Israelites celebrated on the shore as uh, Miriam uh, led the, the women and the uh, singing and dancing and everybody celebrated uh, God's uh, astonishing display of power as he um, overcame the most powerful army that existed in the world at that time and did it without the help of anyone else. And therefore they praised God with great enthusiasm. And we're not surprised that they did, because they had seen something extraordinary. And I'm sure if we had seen the Red Sea divided into two halves, we would have been totally astonished by such display of divine power. So therefore, we're not too surprised that they uh, celebrated at that occasion. Or we could think of the time when David took the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem. And that was a sign, not merely that the Ark had arrived in Jerusalem, but it was a sign that God had arrived. It was a symbol of his presence. And he had um, at last reached the place where he would be at rest, as uh, the Old Testament describes it, where God, in a certain sense, would be at home, where he would be, uh, if this is the right word to use, where he would be comfortable in their presence, in the Ark of the Covenant. And of course, the Ark of the Covenant was where the blood of the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement was placed, which made uh, Israel acceptable in God's sight. No doubt they were happy about that reality, but the passage also indicates that God, you know, as one of the Psalms says, this is my rest forever, here will I dwell. Because he was now content. And David as he took the ark up to the covenant, well, he was celebrating with all his energy as he um, followed the ark into this holy city. And that was a great day, a great day of celebration, and the people participated in it with great joy. And of course, we don't just look back to celebration. We look ahead to a great celebration. When Jesus returns and the, and the people of God are raised from the dead and transformed into his likeness, and as they uh, observe him bringing into existence the new heavens and the new earth, I mean, if we think the Red Sea was a tremendous act of great power, what is it in comparison to the appearance of the new, the new world. And in that new world, there's going to be a, a permanent celebration. Because the victory is one that is endless and will never be, have to be adjusted. Everything has happened in time. There's always going to be future adjustments to it. There has to be. But in the eternal world, when the great celebration occurs, it's going to last forever and ever.
And of course, when it does come, we'll be given a spiritual energy to participate. Because then we'll have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. At the moment, we only have the first fruits, foretastes, samples. But the day is coming when it will be there in fullness. That will be extraordinary. There's almost a sense in which these um, past uh, celebrations are pointers to the future wonderful celebrations. God giving us hints beforehand of what's to happen yet. And of course that is true also of the case with Nehemiah and his wall. We may not regard building a wall as being of that great significance. But it's obvious from this passage here that these people in Jerusalem certainly did. And they, had, they arranged this dedication this, um, this occasion to participate, all of them, in a public display of their gratitude, of their excitement, of what they thought about what their great God had done for them and enabling them to build this wall. And I just want us to think about that today. What can we learn from this incident here described in these verses? I just want us to think about three things. First one is purification. Couldn't celebrate without purification. And the second one is praise. And it's obvious they couldn't celebrate without praise. And the third one is pleasure. And it goes without saying that it's hard for people who are not pleased to celebrate. So there was purification, praise, and pleasure. And the Purification is mentioned there in verse 30. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. And initially we might think there's something rather unexpected or something unusual about the fact that people who had served God and who had served him in a very dramatic and a very dedicated manner that they would have to purify themselves. Surely it would be the ones who hadn't participated that would have to purify themselves. But here it's not the ones who had participated, who hadn't participated, sorry, it's the ones who had, who had to purify themselves. We're not told how they did it, but we can assume, I think, quite correctly that they did it in the ways that Moses would have laid out for people to purify themselves. And that would have 
taken time. They had to take time to purify themselves. And we might say, what's that got to do with us? Well, the answer is, we can't do anything for God unless we're purified. And it doesn't matter how much we have done for God. It doesn't count for anything unless we were purified. Unless we were cleansed. And the Bible tells us that in many different ways. We can just think about some of them uh, for a short time. Jesus in the upper room. There he's talking to Peter. And Peter is interested in doing things for, for God. And uh, one thing that he's not interested in is washing someone's feet. And before his eyes, Jesus starts to wash their feet. And Peter, as we know, was puzzled. And he, he resists the attempt of Jesus to wash his feet. And Jesus tells him, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And I think he's saying, if I don't wash you right now, you have no part with me. And Peter sort of gets the point and then says, not just my feet, but my hands and my head. And Jesus tells him a parable about the need of cleansing. And he tells Peter, a person who's had a bath doesn't need to repeat it, but he does need to wash his feet, because he has been out on the dirty streets or walking through the dirty fields and they've left their mark on his feet and he has to wash them every day. And the meaning we can easily pick up. The equivalent of the bath is the cleansing that we get at conversion. When all our sins are forgiven and pardoned. And we are made clean in the sight of God. And that's a wonderful sense of purification. That we are fit to be in his presence. But it's not all. That's not the only cleansing we need. There are sins that we get cleansed for at that moment that we never repeat again in life. But there are some sins, sadly, that we do repeat. I may repeat many times a day. And for every single one of them, we need to be cleansed. And if we're not cleansed, we can't participate in this celebration. It's quite serious, isn't it? 
I mean, the Apostle John tells us something of that when he says there in 1 John 1, verse 7, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And of course, the word there, cleansing, is in a continuous tense. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the one another doesn't mean you and I having fellowship. It means us and God having fellowship. So we have fellowship with one another. And as that fellowship takes place, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So here we are. And the real question at the moment is, are we at this moment getting cleansed by the blood of Christ? Not cleansed in the sense that we need to be pardoned of all our sins, which of course is essential, but that's not the sense that this verse is stressing. But our specific sins, the ones that we are committing at the moment. Are we being cleansed from them? Because as Jesus said to Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Peter got the message. And we do need to be cleansed. That's why John goes on to say, doesn't it? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul also talks about cleansing in another way. Writing to Titus, he says this, God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He says there, every believer, those who come to trust in Jesus, we hear the gospel and respond in faith. But what marks them is that they have the washing of regeneration. Regeneration. The Holy Spirit gives new life into their hearts. And whatever else can be said about the new life, it is clean. And into their souls comes this dynamic power that really transforms their inner lives. As Paul says elsewhere, they become new creatures, new creation, totally different, a new person, same individual, but all things have become new. If you and I are Christians, 
at the moment of conversion, every aspect of our lives was changed. No part of us was left unaffected. There's no area that the Holy Spirit hasn't touched. So if there are areas in our lives that are not what they should be, We need his power. Because the washing of regeneration, as Paul says there in that verse in Titus, is accompanied by the renewal of the Holy Spirit. If you and I are engaging in sin, whether it's mental or physical. We need to be cleansed. Even as these priests and Levites had to cleanse themselves and the others before they marched along the city wall. They couldn't have their celebration without this cleansing. Paul also reminded the Ephesians that all of them had and were experiencing the washing of the water by the word. The word of God. Whether we read it whether we're studying it, whether we're listening to it, if it's fulfilling its function, it washes us. It cleanses us. It changes us. That's the one the Psalms asks, by what way shall a young man cleanse his way? by taking heed thereto unto your word. And when we are interacting with the Bible, we are being cleansed. But these three aspects I've just mentioned, the need for cleansed by the blood of Christ, the need for the Holy Spirit to be at work in our souls. And the necessity of us using the word of God in a proper way. Highlights the importance, doesn't it, of cleansing. In order to participate in the celebration. When we ever were praising God. And when we look ahead to the great celebration that is to come, what do they say about them? For example, in Revelation chapter 7. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, 
Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. At Nehemiah's celebration, they thought of cleansing from sin. At the great future celebration, they'll thank God they've been cleansed from sin. There and the man there, or the angel there in verse, Revelation 7, verses 13 to 14, he's describing us if we're Christians. These are they coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes, cleansed. So purification is essential, isn't it? And to participate in praising God for his extraordinary kindness. And then secondly, there's praise. And, of course, this particular expression of praise is part of the recovery that's going on in Jerusalem. We've already seen that they've had to restore the Feast of Tabernacles because, as we observed in previous studies, rather extraordinarily, no one had actually served it correctly since the days of Joshua. And here... The performance, if we want to put it that way, is a restoration. Because it is specified what the Levites were to do and even what instruments they were to play. And it's also specified what the priests should do and what instrument they were to play, which was a trumpet. And all that had been specified by David centuries before. And all that they're doing here is either repeating or recovering what had been written out centuries before that they should do when they're participating and celebrating God. And also the singers that they were given their role again. I mean, these people have just come back from exile and they're wanting to start new. And what marks them as they want to start new is what does God say? And they did what God said. Precisely as he laid it down. There, during the time of Moses and later on during the time of David. On this occasion, Nehemiah, helped by Ezra, he divides the, into two groups. The wall is circular and they start at one point and one half goes left and the other half goes right. 
and each half walks round the wall. And it tells us a lot about the wall, that they could all walk on it. And they walked round the wall till they met again at the other side. And where they met again at the other side was at the temple. So we've got this sort of double parade making its way around the city wall, aiming for the temple. And when they get to the temple, we're told there what they do. That they offered great sacrifices down there in verse 43. But think of them walking round the wall. Psalm 48. The sons of Korah, I mean, they were Levites. And a lot of their, they wrote some of the Psalms. And a lot of their Psalms are written after the exile. Like Psalm 87, which we sang a short time ago, which talks about the rebuilding of the city. And another psalm that was written by the sons of Korah is Psalm 48. And it is interesting. In Psalm 48 it says this, Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through our citadels. And as, as we read there from Nehemiah chapter 12 and verse 38, what we see him doing there is numbering the gates. Because each of them was important. Each of them had been something done by, God, by them in service of God. To us it might not mean anything to know about the fish gate. But as they walked round the wall... The fish gate meant something to them. But they walked round the city noticing everything. Why? That you may tell the next generation that this is God. Our God forever and ever. They're saying to us, aren't they there in Nehemiah chapter 1? God did something at the fish gate. And God did something at the tower of Hananel. And God did something at the gate of Yeshana. And we are telling you, they're saying, that God did something there. And while you may not understand what it was, we told the next generation and they told the next one and now we know about it our God forever and ever a great God and as they walked around the wall what would be in their minds what would we think about when we're walking around the wall Surely it's security, isn't it? The one thing that was lacking before there was a wall. Security. And surely our praise to God should be marked by a sense of security. What's the point of praising something that doesn't make you secure? But when we come to praise God... 
We do it as those who are eternally secured. What Jesus said there in John chapter 10, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. As has often been pointed out, double security. Father's hand and Jesus' hand. Or Paul's words in Colossians 3.3, 3, Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Double security. And if we're hidden there, who is going to find us? And we praise him for double protection every day of life, safe forever. And when we get to the end of the day and we stand with a great crowd, what is going to mark them as they look ahead to the endless eternal ages? Security forever and ever. No wonder they praised him here in Jerusalem and how we should praise him. We're just as safe now as we'll be a million years from now. So that's praise and purification, but there's also pleasure. And we see the pleasure in verse 43. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. What an amazing verse. Five times the word Rejoice or joy is used. How could they rejoice? Why did they rejoice? Why was their joy so powerful and dynamic? What's the striking feature of their joy? Well, it's, it's just my suggestion, but I think it's found there. God made them rejoice with great joy. How can God make them rejoice? I don't think it's referring to his power. I think it's referring to who God is. He's a fountain. A fountain overflowing with joy. And out of his joy, which never diminishes, he just provides it. Drinking at the fountain, as it were. They just drink his joy. They don't have to worry tomorrow about what they'll drink. Because no matter how many people drink from God today, he's still got the same amount of joy tomorrow. And God 
as Jesus said, my joy I give to you. What a provision. And when we realize that it's divine joy that they have, then we're not surprised that they have five references to it in one verse. And there's several things about it that's quite interesting. For example, that the women and the children also rejoiced. I mean, that is challenging, isn't it? It wasn't just the old and the mature, but even the children. They were capable of experiencing the joy of God. And we have to remember that. And the writer highlights that the children were participating. The, the celebration would not have been complete if the children were absent. So, so there they are, praising God in the city. Somebody once said, the children are the future of the church. And somebody replied, the children are the present of the church. And there they are, celebrating, rejoicing before God. But also, their joy a beautiful last line, isn't it? The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Does that mean that people literally heard it far away? Or does it mean that the news that Jerusalem was full of joy was reported far away? Whatever one, it's the same, isn't it? But it's a challenging verse, at least I think it is for me, and perhaps for you. What does the world out there hear from us? The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Spurgeon's got a sermon on these verses. He says this about the joy that should be heard. The joy of the Lord should be observed throughout our neighborhood. And many who might otherwise have been careless of true religion will then inquire, what makes these people glad and creates such happy households? And he says, Spurgeon, your joy 
shall thus be God's missionary. Missionaries take the gospel, the joyful sound, to the ears of people. And Spurgeon just takes that picture and says, your joy is like a missionary speaking to the people around. And then when we think ahead to the great celebration, What's it going to be like? A chorus, people used to sing. Joyful, joyful will the meeting be when from sin our hearts are pure and free and we shall gather Saviour with thee in our eternal home. Jesus himself there in Psalm 16, he looked ahead to the world to come. And what did he say about it? In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Celebration. Purification, praise, pleasure. Just a couple of points. This wall, Tobiah the Ammonite, had given his opinion of it a couple of months earlier. It only took them 52 days to build it. And he had given his opinion. And he said, it won't even hold a fox up. If a fox runs in it, it will collapse. I wonder what he thought on this day when the people marched round it. But the fact of the matter is that Tobiah's opinion tells us, doesn't it, that the world hasn't a clue what God can do. His estimate was the fox will knock it down. God's estimate was it'll be big enough for having two parades around it. And taken from that as well, there's another lesson we can learn. If God is for us, who or what can be against us? I mean, that's the reality, isn't it? We're living in a world, and rightly so in a certain sense, in which fear is round every corner. But if God be for us, who can be against us? Shall we pray? Lord, we give you thanks that the people in Jerusalem had their celebration. A great day for them. We thank you that down the centuries, God's people have had many times of celebration. There's a certain sense in every Lord's Day, we meet to celebrate the Savior's resurrection.
We thank you, Lord, that ahead of us there's a great celebration, an endless one. We thank you you've even given us pictures of it in your word. Help us to live as those who are celebrating the resurrection and anticipating the glory to come. Lord, bless us and help us for your own name's sake. Amen. We'll sing Psalm 126 from Sing Psalms. We'll sing the whole psalm. The tune is Denfield. When Zion's fortunes God restored, it was a dream come true. Our mouths were then with laughter filled, our tongues with songs anew. We'll sing the whole psalm. When Zion's fortunes God restored, it was a dream come true. Fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.